therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, it's a privilege to teach again this morning. Thankful um, for the scripture and that we can gather and do this. The last time I taught, um, I exhorted us all to know, to love, to trust and obey the scriptures. And it really wasn't my intention at the time to do a series on Christian disciplines, um, but I suppose this is just what the Lord has been impressing upon my heart lately. Um, in fact, the last time I taught um, after that Sunday, I'm talking to my son, Gabriel. I was like, what should I teach on next? And he says, prayer. I said, I don't want to teach on prayer. <laughs> um, but I, I was reading a book on, on corporate prayer. And um, probably as I'm reading different books, I talk about it. And so that's what I was talking about. So I guess that's what he encouraged me to do. And so as I struggled to find something else to teach on, um, I didn't. And uh, back to a few weeks ago, I told Pastor Joe that I was uh, going to teach on prayer. And I think it surprised him a little because he thought I might do something on church history or apologetics, which is kind of where I, I like to talk about. Um, and I do plan to actually teach on those things. I look forward to doing that. Um, but I suppose maybe God has just been telling me to make sure that my heart is right and I'm living in true fellowship with Him um, before I delve off into those other areas. Because the reality is you can, can fill your head with all sorts of knowledge and answers um, you know, about great men of the faith and apologetics, but if my heart is not right with Christ, um, then it's just head knowledge, right? And, um, you know, if we are not daily seeking Christ through his word and prayer, um, are, we, are we being sanctified? Are we walking in the spirit? Knowledge puffs up, and uh, if we're not walking by the spirit, it is easy to have our head full of answers but still be living contrary to God's purposes. And so I suppose that's why the Lord told me, okay, focus on the word of God and on prayer. And that's what these two first lessons um, are my focus. You know, at the heart of prayer, it's a heart of humility, right? Because um, prayer is an acknowledgement that we are, we are needy, right? And God is the provider of everything. He's the giver of all good things. And I think the more we, we realize how um, little we are before him and how everything we have is a gift from him, even our very next breath is because of his mercy. You know, we do not deserve any good thing we have. I think it was R.C. Sproul who used to say, don't ever pray for God to give you what you deserve. Because if you did, he would strike you dead right there, right? But everything we have, every good thing we have is a gift from him. And even the things that we don't think are so good are a gift from him and ultimately for his good. And um, so we, we, prayer is an act of humility as we come before him, petitioning him um, for all of our needs. Um, you know, I have done a lot of study on apologetics and church history and things um, and 
Other things I like to read are like parenting. That's an obvious need I, I need. But prayer is actually something I have read a good bit on. Um, and it's not because I have a great prayer life. It's actually the opposite. You know, I realize that my prayer life stinks. And um, so as I was preparing this, actually I had to fly out to Midland and drove out to Carlsbad, New Mexico this week. And so before I left on Monday, I started looking at my shelf. What do I have? I want to I read. And I, I found... Oh, one of my favorites, Charles Spurgeon, The Power of Prayer in a Believer's Life. And uh, so this was a great encouragement to me as I was reading through um, Spurgeon this week, just kind of preparing for this lesson and thinking about it. And um, one thing he reminded me over and over that I thought was so good, he reminded me that the throne of God is a throne of grace. And I don't have to, my prayers don't have to be good enough. You know, I don't have to be eloquent. I don't have to even be coherent. But God is, his throne is a throne of grace. He, Spurgeon said, there is enough sin in the best prayer that was ever prayed to secure it being cast away from God. But God is good and he is gracious and he is merciful. There was only one man who ever prayed perfectly. And he was the second person of the Trinity. And Jesus... Um, you know, he lived in perfect, perfect communion with Christ. So that's why he had perfect prayers. The Father, the Son to the Father, he had perfect prayers. But our prayers are not perfect, and there has been no man who had perfect prayers. But we can strive to, uh, to draw near to him. Um, you know, for years I heard about great Christians, great men of God who, who just had these amazing prayer lives. Um, the great missionary Hudson Taylor heard the story that he would, he would get up at like two or three o'clock in the morning and pray for an hour and then go back to bed. And people ask me, why, why do you do that? He said, well, it's the only time that I can be alone with the Lord. The rest of the time, people are, are constantly bothering him and he just couldn't find time. So he would get up two or three in the morning and pray. Um, Martin Luther was known to have said, I have so much to do today. I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Three hours, you know, I'm... I'm Lucky if I can get three minutes in prayer, you know. <laughs> By the way, can I, can I go down a rabbit hole here? Rabbit trail, something like that. Um, I quote, uh, and I, I think of this because I'm quoting Martin Luther, and uh, when you look back in church history, you realize that there are no perfect men. And um, one time I, I was talking about Martin Luther to somebody, and, and so a young lady, my uh, relative actually, and she says, but you know Martin Luther, he wrote some really bad stuff about the Jews. But yeah, I have his book on, on that, <laughs> and he was. <clears throat> so when we, when we look at, at great men of the faith and men in history, um, and when I quote somebody, recognize that I may not agree with them 100%, right? So uh, and Martin Luther is one of those that we can look at and say, he kind of messed up here. And, you know, that consubstantiation, which was kind of a deviation of the Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation, he was, wasn't really right. But he also did some incredible things. When he nailed that 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg, those were 95 um, essentially condemnations of against the Catholic uh, uh, teaching of indulgences. And, um, you know, he, he was nearly murdered for that. He got brought before the Diet of Worms before the, this Catholic Council, and they laid all his books in front of him and says, do you recant these things you've written? And he, uh, 
you know, he had that famous here I stand speech where he said, you know, unless I'm convinced by scripture and by conscience, I cannot and will not recant these things. And he said, you know, um, here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. And, you know, it's the doctrine of sola scriptura that we, um, we believe in today, that he got that right, you know. Some of the other stuff he didn't quite get right. But, you know, if God used perfect people, then he wouldn't get anything done. And, of course, we see that all in Scripture, that God uses imperfect men to accomplish great things. Um, God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. Um, so anyway, I'll, I'll end that tangent there. Um, the verse I have up here, it says in Luke 11, 1, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Can you imagine listening to Jesus pray? I was just thinking about that this week. Um, you ever been around godly men or women who just, when they pray, it's like they are ushering you into the presence of God. Just, you know, It's usually someone much older than me who has just seen the faithfulness of God. You know, maybe they've been humbled by God, you know, through, through circumstances, but they see God continually being faithful. And I, I love to pray with men like that. Um, but Jesus, you know, we have examples of his prayer, but man, can you imagine sitting at his feet and hearing him pray? Um, and here we have one of the disciples. He listens to him pray and he says, Lord, teach us to pray. I want to pray like that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer he, um, he said in his book, Cost of Discipleship, regarding this verse, he says, what does it, this mean? It means that prayer is by no means an obvious or natural activity. It is the expression of a universal human instinct, but that does not justify it in the sight of God, even where prayer is cultivated with discipline and perseverance. It can still be profitless and void of God's blessing. So um, I found that interesting that, you know, if prayer was just completely natural, he wouldn't have said, teach us to pray and give us that example of the Lord's Prayer. Um, in fact, think about, uh, was Jesus at the woman at the well when he, he said, um, you know, true worshipers of God worship him in spirit and in truth. And um, I think that corresponds with the verse in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 15, where it says, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, but I'll sing with understanding also. Um, it's easy to get off in the ditches, and, and that verse in 1 Corinthians was talking about the speaking in tongues and these manifestations of, of the Spirit. And so often you see churches that focus so heavily on the Spirit there's not a lot of truth in there, and they tend to get off track. But then you can also see churches that are so focused on doctrinal truth that they're dead and there's no spirit. And so Jesus, you know, encouraged us to, to worship him in spirit and in truth. And our prayers should be full of the spirit, yet full of truth. Um, it can be translated, pray with the mind also. Um, let's see. So... When you look at prayer in Scripture, there is a lot in Scripture on prayer. 
And I just threw this up here. My daughter told me that that was in the wrong order. What, when, where, how, why? I don't know. I just whatever came to my mind. But you see, I mean, so much on prayer and scripture and the, the what, where's, and when's. First Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. When do you pray? You pray all the time. Um, Luke 6, 28, bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. So who do you pray for? You know, we pray for our enemies as well as, as one another. Uh, Matthew 6, 9, after this manner, therefore, pray ye. Of course, this is the corresponding verse um, to the Luke passage with the Lord's Prayer. So he gave us the example of how to pray. Um, and that's not actually what, I'm not going to focus a whole lot on how to pray. There's a lot of great books on the Lord's Prayer and following that example. Um, but he gave us that example of how to pray. Matthew 6, 6 says, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and the Father which is in seen, which, which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So where do we pray? You know, in a, in a private place. Now, that does not contradict the First Thessalonians passage of praying continually, and I, I'll actually talk about that a little bit more. Um, we are to pray continually while we are also to pray in specific times like that. And then Second um, Chronicles 17, a much needed verse for today as we think about uh, why we pray. It says, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal, heal their land. So why we pray? We pray because God answers prayer. Um, so again, there's all sorts of passages on Scripture to read, the whens and whys and hows. Um, but I want to focus a little bit on why. And I, I focus on this because there are a lot of skeptics and, and even Christians who who think about prayer from, you know, God knows everything. You know, why, why do I need to pray? You know, what's the point? He knows already. And scripture even says this, as we read here in, in this verse. Um, but when you pray, uh, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of, before ye ask him. God knows our needs before we even ask. Um, uh, another, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he also said, and I love this, he says, it is not as if God needed our prayers, but they are the means by which the disciples become partakers in the heavenly treasure for which they pray. So when you pray, you become part of the means by which God in his providence is working all these things together for good. Is that not awesome? God is using us as the means. Yes, he knows. He knows our thoughts before we even think them. And he knows the future. He knows everything that is about to happen. Yet he chooses to use us. I, I love what Patrick Poteet um, said he was asked about helping uh, um, Brother Poole and said, you know, I'm just a conduit, just a conduit God's using. Um, I like to think of it that we want to be a sharp instrument in the hand of God, that he, he uses us. 
And through prayer, God is allowing us to participate in that means in which he works out all things according to his providence and his good pleasure and good will. And I believe that's a, that's a beautiful reason to be praying. Ian Bounds. Anybody read Ian Bounds? Anybody heard of Ian Bounds? <laughs> um, he said, Prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed, but rather as a privilege to be enjoyed, a rare delight that is always revealing some new beauty. And I actually got this quote from a, a calendar. My daughter had a calendar, and we were driving to church, and she was reading all the these different quotes from great men of, of the past. And she read this Ian Bounds, and I was like, wow, that's a great quote. I need to use that um, when I teach on prayer coming up. And But I actually have Ian Bounds' eight volumes on prayer, and I have this because... Um, 20 years ago or so, my, my father-in-law, who just passed away about a month ago, uh, and I was struggling to, and I, I was telling him how I really just struggled to have a good prayer life, and I don't know what it was. I just, I'm just not good at it, and so he was encouraging me and exhorting me, and he says, have, have you read Inbounds? I'm like, I don't know who Inbounds is. Um, he says, you know, he wrote a lot on, on prayer. He was in the 1800s, and so he, um, I went out and bought the book, and, uh, and I was actually thinking yesterday about uh, his, you know, he had his doctorate, smart man, just great man of God, and um, I was thinking, you know, I, I read the first four volumes, and then this, like, doctrinal thesis, I'm like, <laughs> you know, and, um, and I was thinking maybe it was a joke by him saying, uh, you know, this 20-year-old kid, I'm going to make him go work really hard and read this really hard stuff. And because I didn't really remember what I'd ever read in E.M. Bounce before. Um, but I pulled it off the shelf yesterday just to look. And I was blown away at how much I'd underlined in here. You know, it was no joke. My father-in-law was pointing me to Christ and pointing me to great truths. And there was so much I saw in here that I was like, wow, that's where I got that from. <laughs> I'd just forgotten, but uh, it's actually great. It's depth, in-depth writing on, um, on praying and just living the Christian life. So Inbounds is a great read, but he talks about here that prayer should be a delight. We should, we should love to pray. We should love to go before the throne of grace and spend time in his presence. And it's a beautiful thing to be able to do that. And when you think about who God is, that he is merciful and he is gracious. He is the creator of the universe. That almighty God who spoke in the universe leapt into existence. We have the privilege of going before him. And that is a beautiful thing. And, um, but, you know, I, I've still over the years just struggled. Struggled to, to spend the time and take the time. And uh, several years back, um, Ruth and I went to a, uh, it was a, a marriage retreat and I found this little book, a little bitty thin book by a guy named John Yates called How a Man Prays for His Family. And I was like, ah, my prayer life still stinks. I'm going to grab this. And it's really thin, so it should be easy to read. And um, John Yates in this book, I come across this encouragement. He says, we have to decide once and for all I'm not, I, that I'm going to be a man of prayer 
I'm going to make the commitment of time. It's not enough just to ask God to help you become a man of prayer. You've got to do it. And I thought, you know what? I've been praying for God to help me pray. And I've been reading all these books on prayer, but I'm not doing it. I'm just not doing it. And so I, um, the next morning, so I'm like, man, I get up at five o'clock in the morning already, you know? Well, I set my alarm clock for four o'clock and I got up and I shared this just because of what sweet fellowship the Lord gave me that morning. Um, I, I had a journal where I would you know, write down my prayers. And so I got up at four o'clock in the morning and I go sit at our dining room table and I just open the word and I read it and I begin to pray. And I, and I wrote down that morning in my journal these words that I just like to go back and, and remind myself of. But I wrote, the journey to develop a strong prayer life has been long and unaccomplished. I have desired to pray more. I read books on it. I studied it. But alas, it continued to evade me. Suddenly, out of nowhere, the Lord took hold of my heart and drug me out of the pit of futility and placed me in this chair in our dining room. In the dark of early morning, in the silence of a sleeping world, my heart began to cry out to my Savior. I have much to pray about. My delight is in these moments with the Lord. May they last forever as my heart pours out in anguish, yet my joy overflows. The words on these pages are my prayers to a great God who chose me before the foundation of the world to bring him glory. May the sweet time of fellowship prepare me for the journey ahead and be a record of God's grace and mercy in my life and the life of my precious wife and children. And I just like to go back and review what I wrote there that was over 10 years ago um, to remind me to continue to be faithful in prayer. Now, I don't always do that still. And many times my morning prayer is sitting in my truck where I just listen to scripture for a bit. And, you know, my hour drive, I, I just spend that time in prayer. But I do encourage you to find that time in the closet as well, because it's easy to get cut off and suddenly your prayers become curses, right? So, um, but make the time, make the time to spend with the Lord, whatever your schedule may be. And you know, a lot of us work. That's my struggle is I get up, I go in early and I work all day and I come home and spend time with the family and come nighttime and I just fall asleep, you know. And so find the time, whether that be lunch, your lunch break or whatever, just go sit in the truck. And I've done that before, just gone out to my truck and said, I know, I know I have a time blocked off on my calendar during lunch that I can just go spend time with the Lord and pray. We have so much to pray for. Just look at the world around us as such a mess. We have so much to pray for. And, uh, and we should be reminded of James, James 5, 16, which says, Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed for the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And remember, remember that why we pray, because our effectual, fervent prayers, they do accomplish something. Um, So I wanted, I wanted to focus a bit on this throne of grace. Hebrews 4, 16, I read at the beginning, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace 
to help in time of need. Charles Spurgeon wrote, I said I like to quote a lot of people. I realize that I don't have very many original thoughts, and so I actually have a lot of quotes. um, And reading Spurgeon, there was just a lot of great things here. But he said, in talking about this throne of grace, he says, Our Father is to be regarded as King, and in prayer we come not only to our Father's feet, but also to the throne of the great monarch of the universe. The mercy seat is a throne, and we must not forget this. When you think about kings throughout the centuries, these great monarchs, um, how many of them, if you had to come prepared, right? If you came into his courts, if you came without being invited, you think of like the story of Esther, you know, you could get, you, he could kill you. He could say, away with you, you know, uh, but that's not God. That is not our great God and Savior. His throne is a throne of grace and mercy. So how do we approach this throne? We do approach it as, as the publican rather than the, uh, the Pharisee who beat his breast and said, look at me, I fast three times a week and all these things. No, we come with humility. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So we do approach him with humility, as I said earlier. And we recognize that sometimes in God's mercy, his answer to prayers is no. Um, Charles Spurgeon, he said, in speaking of the, the phrase in, in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done, he says, your will be done, my Lord. And if I ask anything that is not in accordance with you, my utmost will is that you would be kind enough to deny me. I will take it as a true answer if you refuse me what does not seem good in your sight. Can we pray that prayer with Charles Spurgeon? Lord, deny my request if it is not in accordance with your will. Um, And sometimes we just don't know what to pray, right? Scripture speaks of this. You know, but while he is a king, he is a king of great mercy. So even our fumbling, bumbling, incoherent prayers... God is merciful and compassionate towards us. Amen. Uh, Another exhortation from Spurgeon, he said, But now that you are favored to come before the king in his silken robes of love, let your face shine with sacred delight. If your sorrows are heavy, tell them to him, for he can comfort you. If your sins are multiplied, confess them for he can forgive you. O you courtiers in the halls of such a monarch, be exceedingly glad and mingle praises with your prayers. Um, He is a God of love. He is a God of mercy and scriptures. It's Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Um, You know, so even our our struggling, um, weak prayers we have the Spirit as our helper, and that is a beautiful thing. Um, 
Likewise, in Romans 8 here, such a great chapter. Romans 8 is, is just beautiful. I love this chapter. He says, Likewise, the Spirit also help us in, in our infirmities, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Have you ever been at that point where you just don't know what to pray? I mean, the words are just not coming to you. Um, <laughs> Spurgeon, he says here, he says, Have you ever seen a parent who knows very well what it is the little one is trying to say? Y'all know what I'm talking about? If you've had toddlers and uh, they can come up and say something to somebody else, you know, if if John has a toddler and it comes up to me and a little one says something to me, I'm going to be like, I have no idea. That's cute, but I have no idea what you're saying. But John can say, well, she's saying this, you know? <laughs> and I remember that with my own children. I could explain, I could interpret what a, the little one was saying. In the same token, that's what Spurgeon is saying here. Have you never seen the parent who knows very well what it is that the little one is trying to say? And so the ever-blessed spirit from the throne of grace, will help us and teach us words, even write it right in our hearts, the desires themselves. God knows our words. He knows our groanings and grumblings even before uh, we say them. Uh, Spurgeon goes on to say, Some brethren pray by the yard, but true prayer is measured by weight, not by length. A single groan before God may have more fullness of prayer in it than a fine oritation of great length. Um, I was thinking about this and, you know, the whole vaccine mandates and mask mandates and all this stuff. This was, this has been a really stressful time, stressful time at me at work. And, um, you know, the company was heavy handedly saying we need to get the vaccine. I didn't want to get it, haven't got it. And then of course, because of the OSHA mandate um, from our government, they were going to require that if you didn't get the vaccine, you had to get tested weekly. And I was just like, I do not want to get tested weekly. And, you know, there was back and forth with all the court trials and the, that it was going through. It got struck down, then it got brought back and all this. And after it got brought back the first time, an email from work came out that morning and, and, uh, and it gave the new direction. If you don't get vaccinated, you're going to have to test weekly. And I'm just like really don't want to do that. I don't want to stick that thing up my nose every week. And I remember just being really burdened about it. And I left at lunchtime. I was like, I just got to get out of the office. And I went, I don't know, grab something to eat. And I'm just praying. But I didn't know what to pray. It's like, Lord, I, I don't want to do this. But I do want to be a good employee. What is the right thing? And I just, I just sat there with just I guess being still and knowing that the Lord is God and a loss of words. And, you know, as uh, Philippians 4 says, be anxious of nothing but everything in prayer and supplication. Present your request to God and the peace that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And, you know, the, those groanings, I just felt that peace come over me. And I just felt like the Lord was saying, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't be anxious. Just trust God. And guess what? It's struck down and I don't have to do it. 
And I'm so thankful. You know, the, the Lord just he answered that, that groan of a prayer. And I'm just so thankful. But we can't even groan if we're not taking the time to spend with him, right? <clears throat> um, I've been talking a lot about just coming before the Lord in humility, as we should. But as Hebrews 14 says, we also come boldly. We come with confidence. After all, he is almighty God, and he can do anything. He is the creator of the universe. We are petitioning, and we can come with confidence, boldly, knowing that he will answer um, some final thoughts here on this subject of praying, individual praying. I want to talk in a minute about corporate praying. Um, are you all familiar with John Gill? John Gill was a nonconformist in the 1700s. Uh, nonconformist meant he was Baptist, right? Um, because as the Reformation went through, the practice of infant baptism still lingered within the Protestant church and the Anglican churches and Presbyterian churches still practice that. Well, those who said, no, I, I only see in scripture um, believers baptism and went away from infant baptism, those which became the Baptist denomination, right? Well, they at that time were called nonconformist. Uh, after they were putting him to death and it got a little <laughs> easier as things went on in the 1700s, there was a pastor and theologian named John Gill. He was the pastor, his pop quiz here, he was the pastor of New Park Street Chapel. Who else, looking at John, I bet he knows, who else was the pastor of New Park Street Chapel? More famously in London, Charles Spurgeon. So about a hundred years after John Gill, Spurgeon at 19 years old was asked to come preach interim at at New Park Street Chapel, and the rest was history, ended up building the Metropolitan Tabernacle because the church grew so much. But John Gill is a very, um, very well-spoken, uh, very um, uh, godly man and gr a great theologian. But, um, and you can get his commentaries still. He's one of the commentaries like Matthew Henry, I like to go consult. You can get it on an app on your phone along with the King James Bible and, uh, and read John Gill. But um, I mentioned the pray without ceasing, and I, I really liked what he had to say about the First Thessalonian verse to pray without ceasing. And his his notes on that short second shortest verse in all the New Testament, John Gill wrote, "Pray without ceasing, not that the saints should always be on their knees, or ever lifting up their hands, or vocally calling upon God. That is not required of them, and would clash and break." and break in upon other parts of religious worship and the duties of civil life, which are to be attended to, as well as this, and besides, would be impracticable. For however willing a spiritual man might be to be engaged in this work always, yet the flesh is weak and would not be able to bear it. It requires, and it requires food and drink, sleep and rest for its refreshment and support for all which there must be time allowed, as well as for other actions of animal life and the business of a man's calling. But the meaning is that believers should, da should be daily and often found in the performance of this duty, for as their wants daily return upon them and they are called to, to fresh service and further trials and exercises, 
They have need of more grace, strength, and assistance, and therefore should daily pray for it. And besides certain times, both in the closet and in the family, in which they should attend the throne of grace, there is such a thing as mental prayer, praying in the heart, private emanations of the soul, which may be sent up to heaven while a man is, enga- while a man is engaged in the affairs of life. The Ethiopic version renders pray frequently. The Ethiopic being one of the early translations. Um, Do not leave off praying or cease from it, though the prevalence of sin, the temptations of Satan, are through discouragement, because an answer is not immediately had, or through carelessness or negligence, but continue in it and be often at it. These words are opposed to the practice of such who either pray not at all or, having used, used to, have left it off, or who only pray in a time of trouble and distress and bear hard on those who think they should not pray, but when under the influence of the Spirit. And when, and when His graces are in a, in a lively exercise, so not just when you, you're all, you know, Walking in the Spirit. That's not the only time we pray. We pray. The reason for this rule and praying with frequency and consist and constancy, because the saints are always needy. They are always in want of mercies of one kind or another, and therefore should continually go to the throne of grace and there ask for grace and mercy to help them in time of need. I know that's long, long-winded there, but I thought that was a great encouragement that when he says to pray continually, it is a life of prayer. It is continually going to him. doesn't mean God's not condemning us if, you know, I'm not praying right now. I'm just talking, right? But it is to be frequently attending to the throne of grace. So I wanted to um, give a few practical examples here about developing that prayer life and spending time. And these are just things that have been helpful to me over the years. I mentioned having a journal. So writing down the things you pray for um, and making a list. Um, the, the neat thing about that, which I've seen as we, you have a list. So I pray for my wife and I have a list of things I pray for. That I'm constantly adding new things, but also seeing those prayers answered. And you go back and scratch that off or write, praise God. You know, you, you see God and then you have this record of how God has answered your prayers over the years. And you can go back and read those. And I find that to be a great practical way. And the other is, is to pray in line. Of course, we always want to be praying in line with Scripture, but pray those Scriptures that speak to our current needs. So when I'm praying for my marriage, marriage is so under attack. You know, the devil wants to destroy marriages. And I believe that's one of the first things I pray for every day is our marriage Um. We should pray in line with scriptures. And so one of the, I love this, I, as I picked up Being Bounds yesterday, I saw this, uh, this quote I'd underlined 20 years ago. It says, the word of God is the fulcrum upon which the lever of prayer is placed and by which things are mightily moved. So the fulcrum meaning that, that pivot point. I wish I had Pastor Joe's whiteboard and do a physics lesson on, you know, as you, as you try to move some of the lever, you have that pivot point and you press down and you move heavy objects. Well, that's the word of God that you're pressing down as you pray. It is 
all the weight is on the word of God and you're able to move these objects mightily. I thought, wow, that's, that's such an encouragement. So we want to be praying in line and praying scripture. So as I pray for my wife, I think about these verses. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might, be, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. It could be translated her as well. Um, so as you, as you, a lot of translations translated as her, um, altos is the Greek word, can be either. But uh, so when we, when I pray for my wife, I pray that, you know, I would, I would wash my wife in the word of God, that I would love her, that I would truly love her as Christ loved the church, and that I would wash her in the word of God, meaning I'm constantly pointing her to the word of God, encouraging her through the word of God, and reminding her of God's promises and his faithfulness. And then, 1 Peter 3, 7, likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, um, or dwell with them, live with them in an understanding way, as it can be translated, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. That should scare every husband in here. <laughs> Are you living with your wife in, a, in an understanding way according to knowledge? Are you honoring her? So I pray, God, help me to honor my wife. Help me to, to live with her with understanding. You know, it's hard to understand women sometimes. Can I get an amen? And, and so I pray, Lord, help me. Help me to understand. Um, so, and that my prayers may not be hindered. I don't know. Is there a, another verse in scripture that talks about something hindering our prayers? If I'm not living with my wife, dwelling with her according to knowledge and honoring her, God may not listen to my prayers. I mean, so we want to be, again, praying according to Scripture. And, um, and this is just an example. Um, and another example, I, I got this from, it's actually a little book by a guy named Todd Wilson, another little bit skinny book, easy to read, and it's called Help, I'm Married to a Homeschooling Mom. And, um, but he, he has this great list. I saw this. I was like, wow, it's, I wrote this down as reminders to be, to be praying. So I pray for her strength and endurance. I pray for wisdom and discipline, um, for her patience, for her persistence that she would not grow weary in doing the good work of, of training our children. I pray that she would be calm and gentle, that she would have discernment and be fair, um, that she would be self-disciplined, that she would have a deeper relationship with the Lord. Um, man, I knew I was going to run out of time. So let me just wrap up. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, corporate prayer. And we see corporate prayer as being so important in scripture. I love the, in Acts, you see it all over the place about coming together in prayer. And uh, actually, Elder Dan asked me about prayer meeting leading prayer meeting a few months ago. And I was like, yeah, when? <laughs> and um, it's, it's just very difficult. You know, a lot of churches used to have sun, uh, Wednesday night prayer meeting. Did y'all ever have Wednesday night prayer meeting? But let me just, let me read this quote real quick about Spurgeon. I, if y'all have ideas about how we can do a better job of having corporate prayer and coming together for prayer meeting. This was wrote a um, story about Charles Spurgeon. It says, oh, wrong page. I've lost it. Um, 
Oh, here it is. Early, early one Sunday morning in London in the late 1800s, before the church services had started, Charles Spurgeon gave a visiting friend a tour of his church building known as the Metropolitan Tabernacle. The visitor was as fascinated with the building and architecture as he was in the spiritual endeavors of the church. At one point, he asked Spurgeon, how is it you have, such, have had such a successful ministry in this place for so long and which has drawn such multitudes of people? And Spurgeon replied that it was all due to the furnace in the basement. The stunned man asked to see this marvelous furnace and unable to imagine how and why such an appliance would have that effect. And so Spurgeon took him to the basement where they found early on Sunday morning, no less than a thousand people gathered for prayer. And Spurgeon declared, behold, the furnace. We need to be a praying body of Christ and there's so much to be praying for. And I have, I had a bunch more to, of things as, uh, that we can be praying for corporately. But I just end it with this thought as we go to the throne of grace. May we continually, individually, as well as the body of Christ, be humbly yet with confidence, coming before the throne of grace ourselves, for ourselves, our families, our church, our communities, our nation, and the world that we may find mercy and grace in time of need. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that your throne is a throne of grace. And even in our fumbling, bumbling, incoherent prayers, Lord, you hear us and you know the groanings of the spirit which lives within us, God. And we pray, Lord, that we would be men and women of God who continually seek your face on our knees before you, crying out for your mercy. Lord, please have mercy upon us. Bless us, bless this church this morning. Um, Bless all those who come before you to worship you today. We ask this in Christ's name for your glory. Amen.